Matthew 11, uh, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. All right, so tonight, uh, welcome. Good to see you. Good to be with you tonight. Um, I have another disclaimer to make before I start this sermon. I'm hoping it doesn't turn out like the soup that I used to make when we first got married. So I'll say when we first got married, I would make soup. I'd get creative in the kitchen and, you know, I'd take a little bit of this spice and this spice and that's, oh, that one looks good. That would, that'd be great. And by the time I was done, I used half the spices in the spice rack, right? And it tasted horrible. And so Bernie's going to yell at me, but I tried to cram maybe too much in the sermon. Uh, but hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy the ride with me. And instead of a soup, uh, maybe it'll be more like a stew. And there's one piece that you really uh, center in on and, and get a lot out of and, and enjoy that. And it's flavored by the rest. So, um, but pray with me before we, before we get started. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, just the sufficiency of your word. Uh, we thank you for the chance to worship you now. And we, we pray that, that, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. Um, that, that our lives changed would be another aspect of worship uh, through this time together. In Jesus' name. Now, I realize I don't have the clicker thing. Thank you. All right, so I think we all like the idea of, of rest, right? And when you think of rest, you may think of a couple of different things. Uh, maybe you think about maybe a nice, easy Saturday morning, where you're not rushing off somewhere, you can enjoy the newspaper and a glass of orange juice, glass of or a cup in a cup of coffee, right? So maybe maybe you think that's what rest looks like, or maybe this is your idea of rest, right? A hammock by the beach, right? And, and maybe for some of you, that's a sunrise, and for some of you, that's a sunset, right? There's two different uh, two different things a way to look at that. For me, that sounds horrible because I hate sand in the beach, so that is not restful for me at all. That is really stressful for me. Uh, but I have my own problems, right? So uh, for me, this is restful, right? The, the, yard, the lawn, lawn equipment, right? So I work in an office all day, and I love to spend time in the yard on the weekend. That's, that's restful, maybe therapeutic for me. Uh, so I, I enjoy that. You can't tell it by looking at my yard, but I, I enjoy it. Right. Uh, and I like this one, right? I like this pup. He's just, oh, right? It kind of gives a new meaning to the phrase dog tired, right? And then, uh, and then there's these guys, uh, hard day's work, they need some rest, right? They're, they're going above and beyond in, in, in their service. Um, so we may have different uh, things that come to mind when we think of rest, but in, in the passage today, I don't think this is the type of rest Jesus is, is referring to. Right? Um, last year, Jonathan preached a sermon on, on the Sabbath and on rest, and, and I encourage you to go back and and really uh, investigate that, spend some time there. But today, when we think about rest, 
Think to yourself if you feel tired in any, in any of these ways, okay? Are you tired of just making ends meet? Are you tired of chasing after happiness uh, but never being satisfied? Are you tired of being angry? Are you tired of giving and not receiving? Are you tired of trying to find real purpose and meaning and what's really important in life? Are you tired of being scared because you don't know what tomorrow brings? Well, if you're tired in ways like this, and I think there's something we can get out of, uh, out of the scripture today, and, and if you're not, well, come teach me because I, <laughs> I struggle with some of these sometimes, and, and, and share that, that rest with the world around us that I think we would all agree desperately needs that kind of rest. Uh, but before we, we talk about that rest and, and those verses 28 to 30, that may be so familiar with, with all of us, with many of us, uh, there's a couple of verses there that we need to, to work through a little bit because at first reading, they may be a little off-putting or difficult to, to, to grasp or understand what, what's going on. Uh, so if we, if we look at the, the first verse there, uh, yep, Matthew eleven twenty five 25 says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So what's, what's Jesus saying here? What things is Jesus referring to, and why is he hiding them? Right? Well, the, as, as so often is the case, you have to take the whole account of Scripture in the context. And, and in just the verses prior to this, uh, Jesus has been through some towns in the region of Galilee. Right? And so he's brought his message there. Uh, he's brought this, this good news to the people there. And he's done amazing miracles in front of these people but they failed to recognize him. Right? They failed to recognize him. And I don't mean recognize him in, hey, that's Jesus, Joseph, and Mary's son. But they failed to recognize he's the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. Right? They failed to recognize him. They failed to turn to him. And so Jesus has, has condemned these cities. They were wise, these people in these cities, they were wise and learned that in spite of what they saw and heard, they presumed to know better. They were prideful, and, and that pride is what kept this good news, these things, hidden from them. Because God is looking for the humble in heart, the little children. So, so when it says that he revealed them to the little children, it doesn't mean that you could only come to Christ as a child, but it's in that childlike spirit. Right, that humbleness of heart. And so what we see here is that God has a tendency, again, of flipping the, the norms of, of the world upside down. Right? Because normally we think it's the wise and learned right, that have the, 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 the best path of success. They've got the, the upper hand. They've got the inroad, right? But here we see that's not what God's looking for. It's not to say that having an education or great experience is a limiting factor in coming to Christ. But again, he's looking for that, that humbleness of heart. And Jesus is praising his Father here because his invitation, it doesn't require people to come with some spiritual IQ, right? They don't have to pass the SAT for believers, right? There's not some hidden special knowledge they need to go find, Right? It's not that, you know, there's some Jedi text in some sacred tree somewhere on another planet. they got to go find that. No. 
You know, they don't have to have a whole list checked to say, I've done all these great things. Look at me. Right? None of those things buy you, get you into a relationship with Christ. It's that humbleness of heart. And any barrier to God through Jesus, the hiddenness, it comes uh, not from God himself, but by our own internal deliberation of one question. Are we going to yield to him? Because having a relationship with the Almighty God wasn't and isn't about what we know, but about who we know. So God's invitation, it doesn't require a spiritual IQ. It doesn't require some special knowledge. It doesn't require a checked to-do list. But rather the humble, trusting spirit of a child. So if we then go to, to verse 27... Uh, it reads, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So a few things in, in this verse really stand out. So first of all, Jesus is highlighting his authority as the Son of God. Right? So that by itself is a hugely blasphemous and difficult concept for the audience to hear. Right? He's claiming to be the Son of God. Right, so that's, that's very difficult for that audience to, to grasp and understand. Uh, and it's threatening to the religious leaders at the time. But this claim highlights that Jesus has all the authority that he needs behind his words. Because as the Son of God, you can believe what I say. Right? And that authority is not just over a church or a synagogue or a state, but everything and everyone. And that was really challenging uh, to the established order of that day, whether it's the, the whole church order, the, the temple order, sorry, the, the, uh, the Pharisees, whether it's the ruling party of Rome, right? That's all very challenging, and it's challenging for us today because if we're honest, we like to be in charge. We like to call the shots, right? So the authority is, is challenging. No one, and we, another great thing here is that we can know the Father, right? We can know the Father, not just facts about him, right? It's, it's like the difference between saying, hey, do you know Bobby Orr? I've got my Boston Bruins colors on tonight. Do you know Bobby Orr, right? Who's Bobby Orr? Hockey player, right? One of the greatest of all time, former Boston Bruins, right? And, and you can probably tell me how many goals he scored and, you know, how many times he was in the playoffs and Stanley Cups that he won. Yeah, but do you know Bobby Orr? It's easy to know a lot about someone, but not to know them. Right? The Pharisees themselves knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. Right? And we have that privilege to know him in that personal way like that. Right? No one knows the Father except the Son and, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So that sounds like a pretty exclusive statement, right? Only those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. But remember, he's just sharedly brought this me- broadly shared this message in the cities in, in Galilee. Right? And, and in Matthew 28, didn't he tell the disciples in the Great Commission to go to all the nations? And in Acts 1.8, he tells us to go to the ends of the earth. Right? So, We hear that, but then we hear verses like John 14, 6. This is some of that tension that John, or sorry, Bernie, why'd I call you John? Some of that tension Bernie talked about, right? We hear John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? So the invitation is broad, but the door 
is narrow. Right. No one comes to the Father except through me. The good news is that, that he is knowable, that he is accessible, that there is a way, right? that he's approachable, that he's welcoming. He sends the invitation out, come, come. But just like we don't get to define who God is, we don't get to define the way that we gain access to him. Right? We don't get to define who God is, and we don't get to define the way we come to him. It's only through Jesus Christ that we do. He is God, after all. When we come to God in that humble spirit, right, we talked about in verse 25, one that confesses sin, one that, that, that recognizes and embraces what Jesus has done for us on the cross, right? then we can get to know him and experience him and walk with him. Right. So again, kind of summarizing that, that section there. So Jesus' authority in approaching him. The Father has given Jesus authority over everything so we can trust we can believe what he has to say to us. And our invitation is one to know God, not just about him. And he is knowable through that humble-like spirit of a child. Right. So now, uh, if, we, if we go to the verses specific to rest, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take a moment there to kind of appreciate Jesus' invitation. It's all, right? And in this invitation, in this discussion of rest, there's a, there's a present context of rest and there's a future context of rest. And I think it's, they, they, they're interrelated in a really cool way. Right? So if we think about the future context, you probably know where I'm going with that, right? We're, we're thinking about heaven, right? We're thinking about heaven. There's a future context of rest. Uh, and we read in, in, in Revelation 25 a little bit about what that looks like. It says, and I heard a, a voice from heaven, sorry, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And because of the authority that we talked about in verse 27, we can take confidence in this promise, Right? And we can look forward with hope and expectation and know that the, the difficulties, the troubles, the trials, the pain, the hurt that we have in this 80 to 90 years on earth pales in comparison to the glory and splendor that we have in his presence for eternity. Right? And God knows we need to have hope like that. God knows that we need that. Right? A view to a better time ahead. Because without it, this life can seem overwhelming and feel pointless. And we know that this call is secure because in John 6, 37, Jesus tells us, whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So there's, there's a rest in the fact that we get eternal rest and we have rest in the fact that we are confident 
and secure. So we've got this future context of rest, looking forward to heaven and the, the eternity and the glory and the splendor and the security of that. Uh, but there's also present meaning for us. Right? In promising rest, Jesus talked to who? The, the burden and the heavy laden in verse 28. And there's a couple aspects of this as well. Uh, the first is, if you think about most of the people that Jesus is addressing here, you know, it's not, most, not mostly religious leaders. It's mostly common folks, right? And, and they, they, they battle against this religiosity that's imposed by the spiritual leaders from that day. The wise and learned that we talked about in verse 25. You know, they, they've been given huge lists of things to do, rules to follow, Right? And as they struggle to try to follow these rules, you know, along trails is this burden of doubt and guilt. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, doubt of, of having done enough good things, of, of being good enough. But Jesus' approach focused not on doing things, but on receiving his mercy. And it focused on God's heart behind the laws that he set up. And this is where the interrelated nature of the future and present context of rest come together because we can attain fellowship with God not from working for it, but by resting in what he's already done for us. And we can rest secure knowing that there's a better life ahead and we're secure in that. So we see these two coming together, an eternal rest based on his mercy and grace for us, not based on what we've done. So we can stop trying to earn our place with God. Secondly, there's, a, there's also a rest that comes from, from having a life uh, that's lived and viewed through the lens of eternity in relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in that relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, the things that we hold important, our priorities begin to change, right? And the things that once seemed so important to get or to have, they don't seem so important anymore. Because you start to realize, right, um, that our life isn't defined by the things that we have. Our life isn't defined by, by where we've been. Our life isn't defined by what we've done, good or bad, right? We realize we're defined by the fact that God loves us. We're defined by the fact that God loves us so much that he gave his son to forgive our sins and bridge that separation. In that case, we don't expend our energy chasing after things that really don't matter. Because we have that view, that longer view of eternity. We have that longer view of the things that are really important. And we're not chasing after things that, quite frankly, don't matter. Right? In verse 30, Jesus said, to take my yoke upon you. Right? Now, when you hear the term yoke, you may think of a bad joke that has to do with an egg. Or maybe uh, you're thinking about that wooden beam that kind of connects two oxen. But actually, in this time in an agrarian society, it's pretty common for people to, to wear a yoke themselves, a wooden beam across their shoulders from which they could hang buckets of water or, or vegetables or dirt or whatever you need to carry, enable them to carry more. And so it's common for individuals to, to have a yoke, right? Uh, and so Jesus has encouraged them to shed the yoke, the burden of the religious elite, right? The wise and learned who are trying to impose these rules upon them. Shed that burden. You don't need to carry that. He told them to shed the burden of the yoke of doubt, to say, look, I've done it for you. 
You don't need to carry that. He told them to shed the yoke of a self-centered approach to life, right? To say, hey, if, if you go around trying to carry all that stuff, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to tire you out because all that stuff fades, all that stuff rusts, it gets dented, it gets scratched, and it doesn't matter in the end. The point is that there's something more. Take his yoke. There's something more, right? God created us uh, with meaning and purpose. He's got something for you to do. He's got something for you to do in your family. He's got something for you to do at work. He's got something for you to do in this church, in this neighborhood, in this community. He's got something for you to do. You're not here just to make ends meet. You're not here just to get to that eternity. You're here to do something as part of a great plan. And we have the privilege to be a part of that. Now, now for those who follow Christ, it's easy for us to fall back sometimes into mindsets and patterns that, that seem to resemble a life without peace, a life without hope, a life without confidence, a life without rest. It's easier for us to get caught up and to fall back into those mindsets. But we have to remember that the good news, the good news that we've, we, we embraced, it's not a one-time transaction, right? It, it's not a, a one-time deal. It's not a fleeting emotion. It's something we have access to every day. We just have to be mindful to go back to it every day. Um, I think I forgot to advance many slides, so I apologize. Who's heard the term hangry? Yeah, hangry. I love this term, right? It's an adjective, bad-tempered or irritable as a result of hunger, right? And I think there have been a few funny Snickers commercials about this, but I love hangry. Uh, so I want to introduce another term to you. I thought I invented it. I thought I coined it, and then I did a Google search, and there are like 26,000 hits, so, so much for being uh, original. But it's the term tungry. Hungry, so an adjective, so a sense of hunger as a result of being tired, right? Maybe, maybe you've experienced this where you, uh, it's been a really long week, you've got more to do, you're running out of steam, you really need to sleep, but you got to keep going, and so you, you go for food to kind of get you through, right? You go for food to get you through. Maybe you're not even really truly physically hungry, but you, your body's telling you, go eat something so you can keep going, right? And it, Am I the only one who does this? Because some of you guys are looking at me like, okay, all right. Okay, I feel better now. All right, but, and, and when that happens, we're not exactly going for the carrots, right? No. You're going for little Debbie's or chocolate or maybe the, the ice cream. And you get that box of ice cream out of the freezer and you, you say, I don't need a bowl. I'm just going to eat one, one spoonful. And then like 16 spoonfuls later, you're like, oh, wow. Well, I might as well go ahead and finish it and throw it away so no one notices. <laughs> but I think, I think this happens in our spiritual lives, too. I think this can happen in our spiritual lives. And it's not healthy, right? Because in the same way that we don't turn to carrots, we're probably not turning to, to good things, right? Um, because we're turning to something to keep us going. I don't think this is captured anywhere explicitly in Scripture, but I think it falls under the scope of, of idolatry, right? Because we need rest and fulfillment from God, but turn to other things to fill what's lacking instead of to God himself. And maybe, maybe that's why David turned to Bathsheba. 
Maybe that's why Moses struck the rock in the desert. Maybe that's why the young prophet in, in 1 Kings 13 accepted the lie of the older prophet and, and ate with him, which is a really cool story, by the way. I'm sure Terry and I could share a really fun version. Um, in each of these cases, there was someone who really loved the Lord and was serving them in a, in a very demanding way. And I don't know if spiritual hungriness you know, applied here. I'm kind of making this up, and we don't have all the information we need to, to kind of reach that conclusion. But I see this kind of thing happening in my life, right? I see this happening in my life, and maybe, maybe you do too. I become more and more busy doing mostly good things, some stupid things, but mostly good things, and I get tired. And, and I drift in my walk with the Lord. The length or quality of the time that I spend with him starts to, starts to diminish. And I get tired and run down and start to think, well, what about me? Right? That's a dangerous question sometimes. When, when am I going to get mine? When, when am I uh, going to be filled? Right? And instead of resting and dwelling with God, I can look to other things for that, to be filled to get my back scratched, to get mine. And maybe, maybe, and some of those are not always bad things, right? And maybe God would have used those. But when I short circuit God and go to the things themselves, right, then I'll still be tired. I'll be less satisfied. And the cycle just continues. Because we can, we can get to a point where we say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of giving of my time, of my resources. I'm tired uh, of giving of, of my love, of my heart. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Right? When we get so busy and we get disconnected from God, it's easy to end up in a place like that. And when you look to people or things to give you what only God can, you'll be disappointed every time. You'll be disappointed every time. And that's not really fair to the people we love, right? When we, when we are looking for something from them that only God can give, and then we're disappointed and frustrated with them, right? That's not fair to them. They don't even know what's going on. You know, we see many times when Jesus withdrew from the crowds uh, to pray and be refreshed in the, in the Father's presence. And that's the path I need to take. I need to go to him, the one who can fill my cup until it runs over. Uh, do you remember what, uh, what God said to David through Nathan after, after he failed with, with Bathsheba? I'll read it for you. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. And there's a big old implied but. You didn't come to me. Now maybe, maybe if, if you know David's life, he had a hard life getting to that point, right? Getting, getting from being anointed as, as a shepherd boy up to the time they got the kingdom. They had to unite the kingdom and he expanded the territory He's a busy man. He's a tired man. He went through a lot. You know, 
the Bible seems to paint the picture that, that David stayed home when other kings were going out to battle. But maybe David needed to rest. But instead of resting and dwelling with God, he was going up and his eyes were where they're not supposed to be. Now, I don't mean to read this passage from uh, what, what God said to David as, as a hint of a prosperity gospel. That's not it at all, right? Because I, I don't think God would have given Bathsheba to David. What the point was and is, is that Jesus' promise to us in Matthew is the same as it was to David as it is now, as it was at Jesus' time. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be coming to you. Don't go get them. Go to him first. All right. In verse, uh, if you remember verse 25, uh, Jesus invites us to come to him as children with this attitude, the spirit of, of a child, the humbleness of a child. So I have a question for, for moms, okay? Question for moms. How many times a day do you hear the phrase, mama, 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 mom, mom, mom? Right? A lot, right? You hear that a lot in a day. Right? But as kids get older, as they mature, they become more independent, you start to hear that less and less. Right? Right? Okay. And usually that's a sign of good parenting, right? That you're creating independent, self-sufficient beings, Right? But I don't think that's what God wants from us. I think he wants us to come to him over and over and over and over again. I don't think he wants us to mature out of our need for him. And in fact, I think it's just the opposite. The more we walk with him, the more we know him and grow in our relationship, the more we realize how much we really depend on him and how much we need to come to him again and again. We all need rest. I've done a poor job flipping slides tonight. Well, we all need rest. We all need to be filled, right? And Jesus is the only one who satisfies both. And I encourage you to, uh, as you enter periods of rest, whether it's a summer vacation or a trip to the beach, a long weekend, a Sabbath day of rest, uh, a month of essential services, whatever it is, to, to not be self-indulged and disappointed, but to spend your rest focused on him. Recognize when you're hungry and turn to Christ. I encourage you today, whether you've walked with, with Jesus for years or not been willing to come to him in that childlike humility, to embrace this rest that he offers and share it with the world around us. Pray with me, please. Father God, thank you for, for who you are. and Thank you that uh, we have access to you, Lord. Thank you that we can know you and walk with you. And we know, Lord, that uh, that did not come without a price. And so we thank you for that as well. We thank you for the rest that you offer us, Lord, that you can satisfy us, that you can give us hope, that you can give us purpose. All these things come from a relationship with you, Lord. We are so grateful for that, Lord. Help us to be mindful, mindful of that, Lord, so that every day we can come back to your promise. 
and enjoy a walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.